It's the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 72. Don't take for granted the, the job that they had who always feel compelled to figure out how every day to add value, how every day to be the kind of person that the decision makers look at and say, you know what, no matter what we do, we can't lose that person. If you're overwhelmed trying to figure out what it is that you want to be doing, just text HTYC to 38470 and we'll enroll you in our short eight-day email course that helps you figure out what it is that you want to be doing and what you should be doing. Just text HTYC to 38470 and you can join hundreds of other people that have gone through this exact same email course. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. This is Scott, and welcome back to Happen to Your Career. I am very excited to talk to you today because we have someone on the show who's been called one of the most highly regarded executives in his field by Adweek and as executive vice president and chief human resources officer for Time Inc. He oversees HR globally for over 8,000 employees and a pretty large HR staff. But before joining Time Inc., he held executive level HR positions at News Corporation, which you might be familiar with, Wall Street Journal, HarperCollins, and then also Hearst Corporation and various managerial level HR positions at Condé Nast in a random house. Also, he's taught at NYU as an adjunct instructor of communications. He writes a weekly advice column, Go to Greg, for the New York Post, and then makes appearances on Good Day New York from time to time. So he lives here in New York City with his wife and two kids. Welcome to Happen to Your Career, Greg Giangrande. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Whenever I hear introductions, I always feel it's an out-of-body experience. They must be talking about somebody else. Doesn't it feel that way? Yeah. I've done probably about 80 different shows in the last last year or so and it really does feel that way it's always it's always interesting it's uh that's that's the best way i've heard it described greg and i don't know where that where all that time went but uh but it's uh it's also a little bit humbling but thank you and i'm i'm uh, it's a real pleasure to be here we are super glad to have you and we get to talk about a whole bunch of stuff i have a number of questions that i am really curious about from your perspective and you know i think we're going to spend some time delving into talking about your your control of your own career. And then I, I want to talk to you about this whole concept of authenticity at work. And you know, I, I've seen that come up in, I don't know that you've always called it that, but I've seen that come up in various different interviews with you. And then most of all, I really want to talk about your personal story and you know, your, your journey and how you ended up at Time Inc. and, and the stuff that happened before that. Because I, I always find that really, really interesting. But before we get into any of that, you've got two kids, right? Uh, it's, that's uh, my uh, most important job in my career. Most important job in your career. How, how old are your kids? Just curious. 
they are 9 and 19. And uh, before you even ask the next question, because that... You know the next question. Think, is, it, is it the same marriage? And, uh, and yes, it is. Oh, that wasn't going to be the next question I was going to ask. You get that assumed a lot, I take it? Uh, a, a lot. When you have uh, a 10-year break in between, uh, in between two kids, it, uh, it seems to be the, the common question that I'm asked next. That is funny. That was not what jumped to my mind. Oh, so my wife is very happy for me to say it is. It is. It the is same. the same. <laughs> oh man! So ten year gap though, you must have learned a lot in between. Uh, in between ten years, you, you could probably give me an idea of what's coming. So I have little kids that range from almost eight to four years old. So I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum to some degree, but they're all eighteen months apart. So that's probably why I didn't anticipate that next wow, question. Well. So if I do the math, you have uh, you have three kids. I have three kids. Yes, right. Three little kids. Yeah. So well, that's uh, you know that definitely is also a, a full time job in a in a in a different way. But um, so I have a nine year old daughter uh, and a nineteen year old son. So my daughter is finishing up third grade, and my son is finishing up his first year of college. So it's like they're two only children, um, yet. They are um, incredibly close, particularly, I think, him being an older brother. Uh, and that's actually helped uh, in raising my, uh, our, our youngest. So how have the ages of your kids and just having kids in general impacted your career? Well, uh, it's a great question, and, and uh, thank you for actually starting out with, uh, with this topic because it is, um, it's something that you know, I think most career people uh, struggle with, and that is balancing um, the demands of a career plus the demands of uh, personal life, whether it's as a, a parent or, you know, or taking care of, uh, of your parents or you know, whatever. Uh, and it's um, and it's gender neutral, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's different pressures, obviously, for for women who bear children, uh, than for for men. But the but it's it, it, that balancing act. It's a, it's a different kind of pressure, and it is it has been um, the true north of my career because uh, what I what I felt early on was that I never wanted to look back and regret not having spent enough time or shortchanging my kids uh, in that role. I could deal with regretting not having spent enough time in my professional career, but I don't think I could deal with looking back and not having spent enough time raising my children and that's not anything you could ever remedy, right? You never get those years back. You can always do something in your career, but you can never experience being the father of a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five. You know, once those years are gone, they're gone. You're they're gone. And yeah. Like you'll always be a parent, but those, particularly those formative years. I mean, those are the years until they're out. Uh, you know, on their own. So it was really, you know, the anchor for how I was going to conduct my life and how I was going to manage my career. 
And um, there are always, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week trade-offs you make. But in general, I wasn't going to sacrifice what I needed to do for myself, for my family. Um, And it really helped kind of anchor the rest of the choices I made about my career. I'm always really interested in talking to people about that for that exact reason, because I'm, I am also very interested in having that be the anchor. I don't know that I'm always good at it, Greg, though. <laughs> I feel like, you know, it, it, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, that none of us are perfect and there are lots of things, but it's, it's a journey and it's an experience. But if it's, if it's, if it's the compass point that, that you use to really navigate your life, you may veer off you know, periodically, it's never a direct straight line, but, but you're always going in the general direction and you're in, in the right direction. And, and if you have to course correct, that's okay. But you know, you're generally headed in the right direction. So as you look back on your career, then where's been a point in time where you have deviated from what other people might've done or what might've been a, I don't know, something good for your career or, or whatever else because of that compass point, because of that, you know, that true North, as you call it. Well, I, um, I, I chose to, um, let go several career opportunities that required me to travel extensively, which for many jobs and many careers or, you know, specific opportunities is, uh, is what you might have to do in order to advance your career. And, um, and I also chose to forego, uh, relocation opportunities because I didn't think that um, the family would want to be in those locations or I didn't really want to be that disruptive um, you know, to our, our kids at the different stages of the lives that they were in. And so I really took into account um, sort of my being present often enough uh, and not uprooting um, the the kids from their kind of comfort zone and their routine. Now, others make the complete opposite choice and say, we think that's great, uh, a great experience and a great journey. But um, for me, it's not something I wanted to do. Uh, and I love New York City. I love being at the center of the action. Yeah. I love being at the mothership. So if the corporate <laughs> headquarters is is, uh, is here, um, um, I really want to be right at the epicenter of all that. So those are some of the choices and trade-offs I made. I, um, I, I did not accept any opportunities to relocate or any jobs that required uh, heavy burden on travel, even though it might have advanced my career. What, what was the hardest one to turn down? Um, you know, there were a couple. You know, Australia was. Uh, I I love Australia, and uh, I love the people there, and it's a very friendly uh, uh, government to the U.S. Um, and so I think that was one that might've been, uh, the most difficult to turn down. I might, I might've had a difficulty turning that down as well. So, but so being halfway around the world and having elder yeah. parents who yeah. you wouldn't be able to see and they wouldn't be able to see the kids and all that. It just, it all added up to staying, uh, staying right here in New York. So this is so interesting because this is the type of choices that everybody is forced to make, but it, it never really seems to come up in terms of when you're talking about career management or, you know, being in control of your career or whatever it happens to be. Right. 
Exactly. And, it, and, that's, and, and that's the point. It's controlling your career, not letting it control you. So I feel good because I've made decisions that work for me and I was willing to accept whatever potential sort of consequences or, you know, um, limited opportunities as a result because they were fully informed choices that I made. So as long as I was in control of my destiny, um, I felt good about whatever the outcome would be. So, so let's talk about that because, you know, just before we hit record, we were talking about, you mentioned something about, hey, you know, the, the cornerstone of the advice that I'm usually giving and you find me giving in various different places is you've got to be able to do things that you're enjoying, do things that you love. And I'm really curious, you know, looking, looking at your career, you made a big switch. It seemed like on the outside, maybe it wasn't on the inside, but it seemed like you made a big switch going from you know, teaching into media essentially and getting you know making that move uh, into into media where it wasn't the teaching of it so tell me a little bit about that and you know what was going on yeah so on the surface it may seem like um like big choices and moments where i had to make um you know some real hard decisions about what i wanted to do and it really it really didn't happen that way and it doesn't feel that way yeah and when you dig a little bit deeper, you see it all feels like a natural kind of organic progression of the things that I like to do and giving me an opportunity to do it. So I was teaching part time. Uh, and when you think about teaching in, uh, in an aspect of, of coaching, so you're coaching students not just about a particular subject matter, uh, but that platform and that um, and that uh, engagement with uh, with students uh, gives you an opportunity to interact with them on other matters as well. Uh, so when you think about that and you think about the role of um, a head of HR uh, and uh, not in a sort of condescending way where I'm saying employees are like students, but in some way, there's still that relationship where you're helping to coach and advise. And um, so that it's very similar uh, being in the classroom and being in human resources in the way in which you can develop relationships with the people you're working with and how you can help them and how you can advise them. Uh, and so, so there's a, a natural kind of transition there. But I've always been interested in media. Um, I've always been a news, entertainment, political junkie. Where does that come from? Um, it comes from a, uh, I, I think this natural instinct of loving to tell stories and, uh, and to reach people and kind of touch people from an early, early age. I was, I was putting on performances at home. Uh, you know, I, you know, people say I could have, I could have gone into entertainment. I could have been, uh, an actor or, uh, so if, in some way I was always interested in, uh, in the art of storytelling. So, and, so why didn't you go that route then? Why didn't you go into acting or something else along are, those lines? There, 
there are, let me count, maybe a gazillion people who are more talented, better looking, more devoted and passionate to it, and probably have a thicker skin to handle all of that rejection. Uh, and then the odds of actually making it. I, I have this, I need to be successful for myself. I just, and, and looking at the odds of really what it, what it takes to be successful and how difficult that business is, it just, it didn't seem like a realistic option. That and there's a gazillion other people who are better at it. Um, so the same reasons I didn't go into acting. <laughs> right. so that's a very scientific calculation that I did. It's very mathematical. Very. I think the number is about a gazillion. But you know, so but yeah. I, you know, I loved. I've always consumed media. I've always been a junkie, a voracious reader, voracious television consumer, um, a uh, a film uh, a film you know junkie. Uh, politics. I mean, I'm just riveted by the art of storytelling and moving people. Um, uh, and so, so that's always been a passion of mine. And I grew up in this very um, sort of cloistered kind of lower middle class community. Um, and my only windows to the to the what the art of the possible was in terms of life and experience and and career, frankly was um, some subscriptions to some publications and, and television. So uh, Time Magazine, so there's a, you'll see kind of a symmetry in the poetry here, Time yes. Magazine, Life Magazine, uh, and Sports Illustrated were some of the publications that, uh, that my mom subscribed to for me. Um, and just because I had this voracious appetite for sort of content and media, um, and this in incredible curiosity, uh, it really kind of led me on a path that got me out of, um, you know, thinking just smaller within the community. And that was my realm of sort of existence and possibilities uh, and seeing much farther beyond that, which really kind of then sparked my interest in journalism, which sparked my interest in going to one of the top journalism schools in the country, which was NYU. Um, and unlike the experience that I had with my son in helping him go through the college selection experience, I applied to only one college. Uh, I didn't have tutors helping, with the, helping me with the SAT. I didn't have an army of advisors. I woke up uh, one morning and said, oh, I think I should go take the SAT today. I think they're offering it at my, my high school. Um, took the SAT <laughs> on my own, applied to one school, did the application all by myself, and fortunately, I got in. Fortunately, fortunately. So I, I was very much the same way, isn't it? It seems funny how much that is not the norm now. <laughs> oh, my, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and, and maybe it's this is unique to New York City, but the intense pressure to get into kindergarten oh. uh, alone. Uh, yeah. And of course, if you don't get into the right kindergarten, your kid is ruined for the rest of their lives. The whole rest of their lives. Uh, Absolutely. And um, so so it's a whole different, unique kind of pressure here. But it was uh, it was simpler than in those days, Scott. <laughs> very, uh, very much so. Let me cut back in here for a second. I want you to meet Tracy. I'm Tracy, and I'm from San Diego. I am a microbiology lab supervisor at a medical device and diagnostics company here in town. Before Tracy found our eight-day figure-it-out course, here's what life was like for her. I was drowning in debt and seriously struggling to find a way out of it. 
I've got student loans <laughs> from the late 90s that I'm trying to pay down as well as a car loan. Okay, now you might be thinking, what does debt have to do with Tracy's career? And what does any of this have to do with this eight-day figure-it-out course? And this course really helped me to gain a lot of clarity around what was important to me and helped me to see possibilities beyond my current situation. So with that, I've actually started a small virtual assistant business on the side, and I have been able to seriously accelerate my debt repayment plan. I will be completely debt-free in just over two years from now. Wow. Congratulations, Tracy. We love hearing stories just like that one. Now, if you want that type of clarity that can help you move forward in your life, here's what you can do. Just text HTYC to 38470, HTYC to 38470, or just visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. It worked out, and so... You know, I studied journalism at NYU, uh, which then led to, um, you know, me. I was teaching part-time, and then I was doing, uh, I started my own local publication part-time. So it all kind of stayed in the same realm, and then doing the local publication led to uh, an opportunity and teaching within, a, um, you know, in New York City, uh, led to other connections that got my foot in the door, um, uh, at Good Morning America, where I worked with uh, Joan London, who was the who was the host of the show and a big television personality at the time, um, which led to a couple of year career in broadcast television, broadcast journalism. Uh, so it all kind of kind of built on each other, staying in that world of storytelling in one way or another. Uh, and then there was the idea of, you know, maybe I wanted to be full time in front of the camera. Um, and again, kind of like acting, I, I knew what that, that life, uh, meant what that career path meant. And that was starting out in a very small market somewhere, um, where I did have some job offers, uh, and every six months or so uprooting myself and trying to get to sort of the next, the next highest level. market. Um, how, how far I, did you go in that? Just curious uh, as you, I, as you got into that. I went as far as, um, getting a job offer in a small town in Florida, uh, and, um, deciding that that's not the path I wanted to get on. I did not want to go so far from New York and I don't mean geographically. I mean, just from being at the, sort of the center of the universe is how I felt about it, the media universe, and going to this tiny little town, you know, covering not even local politics, but like the local farmer's market drive. (laughs) Check out the blueberries that are coming in for this week. uh, And knowing, knowing myself, right, really being true to myself and authentic about, you know, who I was and what I needed, knowing that for me, success only would have been getting back to New York. And I was already in New York. So why leave? How, how did you get to know that though, Greg? Because I think that's the question that many people ask. Uh, you know, I get, I get emails daily about people struggling to figure out if this is the right decision for me. 
and figure out if this is the right career because there's so many different possibilities out there and people really struggle to narrow it down and understand what is important to them. So how, how did you discover that for yourself? Because clearly you've had numerous times where you've had to make those types of decisions that could have caused you to deviate from that. See, and I don't, and I think that's the key. I don't think it's that complicated. I think people overcomplicate um, some of these decisions, and they allow too many other factors uh, influence, and they're worried about too many other things that I think are uh, less important uh, and can cloud the judgment. And you know, uh, I feel that most of us, when you know, when you lie down at night and the lights are down, and 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 you're really sort of alone with your thoughts and yourself you know what makes you happy you know what you need and you know what you what you want and if more people trusted that inner voice and that gut and that really driving and don't let too many external influences don't let anyone else telling you what you what they think you want to hear or what they think works well for them or this generic advice from some consultant about here's here are the 10 steps to success. It's like, what do you want? Like, what is that inner voice telling you? And if you go with that gut, I think more often than not, you're going to be right and you're going to make the right decisions. And I've, I've really relied on that inner gut to guide most of my major decisions and not let it too much else sort of cloud that clarity. So why do you think so many people don't then? Because it's, you know, I'm, we have an entire business around helping people identify what they value in their lives and helping them get clear on that and then helping them align their career with those things and whatever those true north pieces are for them. But I've discovered that the vast majority of people don't and they do allow those things to cloud and they do so why why do you think that is from your experience well i think because it's hard to avoid it we are bombarded by information and by um you know different examples of of success and um and advice about how to get there and um it's hard to synthesize it all and 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 get clarity in the clutter. Um, it's, uh, it's almost like doing an internet, a Google search and saying, you know, career advice, you're going to get <laughs> 2 billion pages At least. Of, of, of hits. And how do you make sense of it all? How do you, how do you know, how do you even know to trust your gut and say, forget all of that. So I think the more voices there are like yours and, you know, anyone else who's telling people to, try to be really true to themselves and 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 not and not seek out all of this advice but really first start with in it you know within right thinking about who you are as a person what are the things that make you happy forgetting about the internet for for a second and all of the information out there but first looking within um I, I, you know, I know it's, it may sound a little corny and it may sound a little trite, but sometimes the answers are simpler than, we, than, um, than the world kind of 
makes them out to be. And, uh, and I think there's just, we're just bombarded with information. It's hard for people to, to remember that sometimes the truth is, uh, is, is a lot simpler and a lot closer to home. So where, where for you did you really start to realize that? Because I totally agree. But it seems like everybody has a point or a set of points after they've yeah. crossed that where. You know, I, I, think, I think having um, a couple of good mentors, uh, you know, and I had, I certainly had, uh, you know, my, my parents divorced when I, when I was young and, um, and um, you know, my dad was great, but my dad lived a certain life. And, you know, my mom was the one, so you live with him. My mom was the one who kept telling me, you know, these are the things you're great at. These are the things that you're, that make you happy. Uh, don't let anyone define you. You do what feels right and authentic to yourself. And that's where the authenticity comes in. You be true to yourself. Um, and, um, and then having teachers who, you know, you gravitate towards the, the, the things and the advice that feels comfortable and having teachers who kind of reinforce. So that, I think that's where those, it, it really formed for me, you know, growing up, um, where developing the confidence to be unique, to be true to yourself. Uh, and, um, and this uh, almost obsession with uh, not conforming for the sake of just belonging. Uh, and, um, you know, we are unique. We are, and this all sounds really trite. And I feel like I'm, I'm in some sort of like, uh, you know, therapy session here, but I, I don't need it to be. It's, it's really, it, it, but it is what I say. It's the advice I give people. You want to differentiate, differentiate yourself then you know who are you what's your identity how that's what you have to go with you have to go with with really what makes you different and so those are the things growing up that really and and those types of mentors and advisors that really gave me the confidence to keep sort of following my path not somebody else's so this is so interesting to me because to listen to your story it really seems like you had, I'm going to call it an advantage or, you know, distinct competitive advantage to some degree, because you had your mom continuously reinforcing that. And then you had some other things early on all along the way. And it almost seems like, you know, with, with all the people that I've interviewed, they've had for the people that are truly comfortable with themselves, they've had a whole bunch of that throughout their lives along the way in various different forms and various different points. And, you know, as I think about, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like we started talking off about my kids and your kids and things like that. And it's like, wow, what do I, what do I need to do to reinforce that in their lives? So that when they're, when they are pursuing their career or work or anything else along those lines, that they are with that same competitive advantage almost yeah. and comfortable no, with themselves. It's very empowering, right? It, you know, for 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 people to realize that they actually um, have a great deal of control yeah, over yeah. their lives and their fate, uh, and 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 people just need the confidence, and it's part of what growing up is, and kind of 
uh, you know, getting those compass points along the way, right, to help kind of navigate your life. Um, and I was I was fortunate to to have those, but also to seek those kinds of people out. Interesting, interesting. Well, I'm I'm keeping watch on the time here, and we've just got a few minutes left here. Oh, I feel like I've rambled on and we didn't get into anything that you really wanted to talk about. See, I, f- I feel like we, in a roundabout way, perfectly got to everything, but it never, <laughs> if I'm doing my job right, it doesn't end up in the way that I anticipate it. <laughs> so so there's a two or three things I wanted to ask. I don't know if we're going to have time for all of them, but talk to me about more on this on this concept of authenticity and taking control of your career at the same time. But, you know, as since this is something that so many people struggle with, you know, how, how do you, how do you be authentic at work? I mean, whether you are, whether you're going into a job interview where everybody's tendency is to, I don't know, try and put on the face that, uh, that what people want to working and trying to, I don't know, everybody thinks that they need to drastically impress their boss and then they need to put on this fake face and, uh, to even if you own your own business, you know, doing that for, uh, compared to what your customers are going to think. But how, if if you don't have your mom, you know, <laughs> telling you every step of the way that hey, you need to be yourself, you need to be yourself, and you're recovering from a place where you don't feel like you can be authentic, what advice would you have for those people? So I can tell you from an employer. So I, you know, one of the advantages of being in this perch as the head of human resources. Uh, you know, you're you're really on the inside of all the conversations uh, that go on with the CEO and all the executives uh, running the company um, about the talent in the company and the conversations about promotions and, unfortunately, uh, at times layoffs and 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 the things that companies talk about are. When they're talking about talent and the and the people who get the attention and who mm-hmm. seem to have more career opportunities um, and more chances for success uh, along the way to really build a long successful career are the people who don't take for granted the the job that they have who always feel compelled to figure out how every day to add value, how every day to be the kind of person that the decision makers look at and say, you know what, no matter what we do, we can't lose that person. Or uh, we need to figure out how to give that person more. And it's the kind of people who um, are committed to being great at something, right? Whatever it is, everyone has their spike. Not not everyone is great at everything, right? We all have our things that we are that we are great at and the things we're not so great at. And if you play to your strengths. So you ha- it, it's it's easy to be authentic if you are realistic and pragmatic about what it is you're really good at. And um, and if what you're really good at is what the company really values, then double down on that and and demonstrate that value, and that will help you be authentic because you're doing something that's natural. That that you know you're not faking it. It's not every day a struggle and a stretch for you. 
um, and uh, and that will carry you a long way. So a big part of being authentic is being honest about, frankly, what you're good at and what you're not so good at and working on developing the things you're not so good at, but really honing, you know, what you are great at and doubling down on that and, and putting yourself in a position where, where that really matters to, to your employer, because then you'll get recognized and rewarded for being great at that, which will give you more confidence to keep doing that. And the more confidence you have, the more comfortable you become in your skin at what you're at, at who you are. So it's this all, it's, it's a holistic approach that really kind of builds confidence over time, which helps you be more sort of true to yourself. So I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it makes a ton of sense. And we spend a lot of time talking about strengths and developing your strengths on this on this show and almost the mastery of your strengths, if you want to look at yes. it that way. And that's that's what I think of when I hear you describe almost that that cycle. But you said something that I want to ask you about really quick before we wrap up. You talked about adding value and taking control in the in the in the I guess doing so by adding value every single day. So what what is what does that mean to you in terms of adding value? What do you mean when you say that? Like what's a real so, world example? So real world example is this, you know, you know, you often hear these the conventional wisdom is, you know, just, you know, go to work, keep your head down and work hard. Um and I think uh and I think that's the wrong advice. Yeah, you need to keep your head up. You need to be vigilant about um the environment and and learning by osmosis and taking your cues and being acutely aware of of what's going on around you what the what your colleagues are doing what the priorities are they're constantly shifting uh and constantly kind of managing yourself around what is it that the company needs how can i constantly put myself in a position of solving problems uh, and uh, helping advance whatever the company's objectives are, whatever the challenges are, uh, and how do I become a viewed as, what is my, we like to call it, I like to call it a reputation index. What do people say about me? And having that self-awareness, what do people across the organization, above and below, when they're going out for a drink after work and they're talking about the company and people, which everybody does, uh, what are people saying about me? Am I the kind of person that people view as a go-to person? Am I the kind of person that people view as they want to invite out for a drink? Am I the kind of person that people can rely on and trust that if they give me something to do, it's going to be done and going to be done well, um, that I'm not going to be someone who's going to present problems, but um, surface potential challenges and offer some solutions. Am I a constructive, positive force? And hard work does not equal productivity. Activity and productivity and activity and value are not the same things. Working hard is not the same as working well and being productive uh, and recognizing the difference between activity and productivity, um, I think, is critical for 
um, for adding value to uh, to a company and being viewed that way. Recognizing the difference between activity and productivity, I absolutely love that. And on on that note, I I have to say this has been a ton of fun for me. I uh, I think you have a really very interesting story, and I am I'm sorry that we are out of time because I have probably 15 more questions I'd love to ask. But that's well, if you ever have some dead air that you need to fill, and you'd like <laughs> to invite me back. I'd, I'd I'd be happy to I'd be happy to return. This has been a pleasure. You're welcome on the show anytime, Greg. I I really appreciate you making the time, taking the time, and if people are you know, interested in finding out more about your story, more about you, where, where can, where can they do that? Well, uh, you find out a lot about me through my column and the advice that I give. You really get a, a glimpse inside of how I think. Uh, and, uh, and that's in the, uh, the weekly go to Greg column in, in the New York post. Uh, that would be a, that would be one way to learn, uh, learn more about, um, my, my views on uh, how to manage your career. HDYCers, I found Greg's story fascinating, particularly the part about where he was talking about his his growing up and with with his mom, and he had that type of support. And what I found again and again is that people have to have some type of support in order to really be able to get over themselves, get over the mind games, and become authentic to what they really actually want. And I really think that he was right. We overcomplicate it. We overcomplicate it with the things that go on our heads and and fears and, and everything that comes from that. But if you can really get past all of that and really be able to focus on exactly what it is that you want, then, oh my goodness, amazing things can start to happen. And this is, this is on my mind quite a bit because I... Uh, well, obviously run a show in a business that, uh, that has a lot to do with this. So I very much am into practicing what we preach, which forces me to be, well, to really cultivate a life that I'm interested in living in and want to, and, and can actually be authentic. And if you want to do that, I know, you know, by now, you can go to happenyourcareer.com slash 72 and find out all the things that we referenced, they'll be in the show notes. A little bit more about Greg, how you can how you can find out more about him and also his column and everything else that we talked about, plus the eight-day course and the blog, the other podcasts, back episodes, and more where it'll get you to be able to authentically get to work that you love. Now, we really appreciate you. We get emails on a regular basis. And sharing your story and what you're going through and what you're struggling with and you know also your successes. We want to continue to hear about those things. I'm getting so many now that I can't respond to every single one, but I make sure that I'm reading everyone because it helps me understand what you're going through and then we can better help people in your situation. So thank you so much for being here. Now, if you love the show at all, even if you kind of just sort of like it a little bit, we would love you to be able to go to iTunes or Stitcher and be able to leave us a rating and review. Simply search each HTYC, HTYC, just search it on iTunes or Stitcher. We'll pop right up and then we'd love your feedback. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. And until next time, I'm out. Really what we do, Greg, is we help people 
stop doing work that they don't want to be doing and find work that they enjoy and that they love and make transitions to to make that happen. So now That's you're great. Yeah, it's a, it's a ton of fun. It is a, a very unique market is not necessarily what everybody is after. But uh, I think your story is particularly interesting, and obviously that's what we get to talk about today, right? Well, yeah, that's great. And it also happens to be the kind of centerpiece, the cornerstone, if you will, of the career advice that I've given my entire career in, in this role and in other kind of media that I've done. It's, it's really... Um, a a, uh, a pointless and uh, and a depressing waste of time to be spending so much time doing something that you don't actually really love doing. Depressing is the right word for that. I am <laughs> I am a hundred percent sure. 